0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of the Trinity, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now in the previous broadcast, there were several points that I really wanted to make, that I really wanted to make with regards to this subject. The first is to understand that this subject has been debated since just about the founding of the church, and I expect that it's going to continue to be debated. This subject will continue to be debated for many years to come. I certainly do not expect that this broadcast is going to settle this debate, and in fact it might create some new discussions, some new contentions, some new disagreements as a result of what it is that I am teaching on these programs. The second point that I really wanted to make in the previous broadcast is that there are many passages in the scriptures that can lead a person to believe that the Trinity is a doctrine of three gods. That it is very easy to read through the scriptures and make that conclusion. It's very easy to do that. I certainly do not believe that that was the intent of the writers in the scriptures, but there are many people who can ...perceive that, and that simply depends on their perspective. It depends on a person's perspective on how they are looking at the subject. It also depends on how somebody explains the doctrine of the Trinity. This is about perspective, and in some cases people will understand what you are saying... ...or what the scriptures say as if it is testifying of three individual gods... ...that are working together in a collective concert of some kind. This is a conclusion that many people can come to... And there are many people who do not believe that there are three gods, but because of the way that they explain this subject indirectly, that really is either what they believe or what they are by default actually saying. And so in defense, what people will often say when somebody does not seem to understand is they will default to something that sounds like, well, this may not be something that you can comprehend, but it's definitely something that you need to apprehend. And while that might be acceptable to some people, other people would not find that to be an acceptable explanation, that they definitely are not the kind of people that are willing to apprehend something that they do not comprehend. And so the explanations do become even more important to those who are looking at this subject in a more critical way and are unwilling to just believe just because that's something that we are to believe. And even though we don't understand, then we still have to believe it anyway because we're afraid that we might Lose our soul. We might certainly end up losing our mind by trying to understand something that we cannot understand, but we don't want to lose our soul, and so we just say, Yeah, I believe that. But really, deep down inside, they have no idea what they really believe or why, and so it really has no meaning to them whatsoever. This is a defense that many people will give who sincerely want to believe in the current Trinitarian concept that is generally being presented. People will say, well, it's definitely something that even though you cannot understand it, you need to apprehend it. However, this becomes their argument with someone else when they do not understand what they are saying. If someone else is presenting a different perspective, a different point of view that they do not agree with, that they do not agree with. They will then defend their unbelief by simply saying, look, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in light of this and in light of this and in light of this. And because it doesn't make any sense, I am unwilling to accept it. And as far as I'm concerned, you're going to go to hell because you don't believe what I believe, even though I can't make sense of it either. That's what people say. Make no mistake. That is what people are teaching out there. And it's very unfortunate, but that really is the case. I may not be able to explain fully what I believe to you so you can understand it, but that's okay. If you cannot explain to me fully what you understand or what you believe so that I can understand it, then that is unacceptable to the point of perhaps you are a heretic who is going to go to hell. And that is very unfortunate, but that is the climate that we live in today in the theological world when it comes to this specific subject. Now, at the end of the previous broadcast, I was given the illustration of the egg, that the egg is a single egg, and yet it is composed of a shell, a yolk, and the egg white. All of it really is the egg, but it is composed of three distinct parts. So people will use that illustration in order to describe the Trinity, the Trinity of God, to say that God is of three persons, but in totality, in a singular essence, they truly are one God one collectively as three individual persons that operate in one divine essence. Now, while those are nifty words, and they certainly have some theological expression behind them, that doesn't necessarily mean that they really mean anything. That just means that they sound good, and that they seem to be adequate for the speaker or the one who is believing it, but that does not necessarily mean that you have conveyed the character of God to somebody else just because you've used terms like that. Understand that the nature of God is very difficult to understand, and it depends on your perspective. That was the conclusion that I really wanted to focus on, is that there is a perspective, and I'm going to use this concept of perspective as I explain this subject further. Now, with regards to the egg illustration, that's easy to see because you have distinct parts that can be identified. But let's consider another illustration, another very good illustration. The illustration is with water. Water can be seen in different forms. Water can be a liquid, it can be ice, or it can be steam. It depends on the temperature of the water, of course, but these are different manifestations of the same element of water, H2O. It is the same thing. And so we could look at our God in the same way, that sometimes he is revealed in one way, And in other times, he is revealed in another way. But again, there are many people who believe the Trinitarian concept who would look at that and say, that is total anathema. That is total heretical teaching. God does not manifest in various ways. He is composed of different persons who show up in their distinctive ways. That is an argument that presently exists, but I personally do like the illustration, and there are many other people who personally do like that illustration. And from one perspective it's acceptable, from another perspective it is not acceptable. It just depends on who you're talking to. And so how do you know what's true? How do you know what's real? Well, this is something that is only going to truly be answered by God himself to you. And so in the end, I'm going to have to defer to the Holy Spirit and say that if the Holy Spirit reveals to you one thing, then go with that. And if he reveals to you something else, then go with that and listen to him and ask him and be led by the Spirit of God, and be attentive to the reality that perhaps he might change your perspective here or there, he might increase your understanding or make things more clear, and to try to live a life of dependency on the Spirit of God as he will lead you and guide you. But I do really like the water illustration, I think it's a very good illustration that can be used to reveal the oneness of our God, who is most certainly one God. The other thing that I really wanted to emphasize on the previous broadcast is that some people may be presenting the subject of the Trinity in such a way that truly they do, they really do believe in three gods. Now, they might swear up and down that they do not believe in three gods, but really they are just simply deceiving themselves and perhaps everybody else around them that they really do believe in three gods, and they're just simply not being honest about it. That is a real issue, that is a very real concern. And I definitely do not want to encourage people to believe that, that from a certain perspective, you can look at Trinitarianism as though it truly is tritheism. That is a reality and something that you most certainly need to be aware of. Now, if you think all of this stuff is confusing, there's more. Don't worry, there's more. All of this stuff can be very confusing because, of course, I have not said anything concrete With regards to the subject yet, don't worry, I will soon. But let me just mention one more thing that will really make this subject even more difficult just for the moment, and then I'm going to shift gears and try to explain the subject in a very simple way. Okay, And so I have been talking about this in a very convoluted way, and that is because, as you will find if you were to pursue this subject within the theological circles of Christianity, it is a very convoluted subject, and so I am just simply expressing the situation. It is a disaster. It is a mess. It is totally convoluted. So don't be surprised if you feel a little lost at the moment, but don't worry, I'm going to shift gears very soon, and I'll explain this subject in very simple terms. Okay, the last issue that can seem a little bit convoluted, and then I'll move on from there, but the last issue, which is very important also, is who actually raised the Lord Jesus from the dead? Who really did raise the Lord Jesus from the dead? Because it depends on who you ask, and it depends on what you read. For example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It says clearly in Romans chapter 8 verse 11 that it is the spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who actually rose the Lord Jesus from the dead. But that's not all that the scriptures say. For example, in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, this is John chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. What did he say? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, it clearly says that it was the Lord Jesus who raised himself from the dead. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, this is John chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. And so here again, he says that he was going to raise himself from the dead. And so, did the Holy Spirit raise him from the dead, or did the Lord Jesus raise himself from the dead? Now, if there are two distinct persons involved here, if the Holy Spirit is a distinct person and the Lord Jesus is a distinct person, then there's obviously some competition with regards to who actually rose the Lord Jesus from the dead. If there is distinction between the two, then who really did it? This is a difficult question to answer when you consider these passages. But it gets even more complicated. Consider Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. In Acts chapter 4, verse 10. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. In Acts chapter 13, verse 30. But God raised him from the dead, referring to the heavenly father. So who actually rose Jesus from the dead? Was it the Holy Spirit? Was it Jesus himself? Or was it the heavenly father? What are you going to say to that? How are you going to reconcile this? Now, this has been looked at by many Trinitarians, who in many cases can be looked at as tritheists, who really do believe in three gods, even though they won't admit it. That's true. There are explanations that can be given, without question. Please understand that there is not always dishonesty involved, but in many cases when people do present their point of view, when they present their perspectives, they will leave out or they will ignore or they will step away from those passages that are difficult for them to explain, very difficult for them to understand, and very difficult for them to use in order to support their perspective because they don't really support their perspective. They really don't, and perhaps it's because their perspective truly does have some issues to it. It might be that somebody who is a born-again believer doesn't have a full, complete, total understanding of their God. And you know what? That's okay. That's perfectly acceptable. Now, I realize it's easy for me to say that, but if they say that I do not believe what they believe, then that is unacceptable, I personally think that that is also a description of immaturity. Please understand that when we are born again of the Spirit, we are saved. And the Lord is working with us, and he is growing us, and he is teaching us, and he is guiding us, and he is transforming us to who he wants us to be individually and personally as he sees fit. We should trust in his perfect work and allow him to work within us as he can, as he does, and allow that to be an experience that everyone lives. And so if it just so happens that somebody does not believe everything that you believe, allow them to have that freedom and continually focus on the importance of the gospel itself and the foundationary aspects of forgiveness and the differences between law and grace and our inheritance in Christ. These are the important issues. The identity of God in terms of his nature and his being is something that we can only begin to grapple with but please understand that our God is huge. He is absolutely huge and the totality. Of who He is, you will never be able to understand or comprehend. The totality of who He is is going to be well beyond your reach. You are the created being. He is the creator, and he has created you with a limited capacity to be able to understand only so much, and he will only be able to reveal to you so much because many things do depend on you understanding other things. That just simply is a fact of our growth in Christ Jesus. It's very difficult, for example, to fully appreciate the inheritance that we have received in Christ unless you understand the subject of forgiveness. There is something that you need to understand before. you can truly understand and appreciate the depths of something else. And so allow that to be an expression of growth and development that we experience as people of God. And just simply understand that everyone is in their own phase, their own stage of growth, and allow them to grow in their relationship with Christ Jesus and continually direct them to listen to the Holy Spirit of God and you yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit of God and allow Him to teach you. As he sees fit, those things that he feels are important to you for the work that he is preparing for you. There are many things in the world that we are exposed to that we just simply do not understand. There are many things that we do not know, and it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Let me give you a practical example. Consider the mathematical value pi. Pi is a very important number. We use it for many important applications, for many important purposes, to do many important things. You cannot calculate the area of a circle or the circumference of a circle without pi. There are many important problems that you cannot solve mathematically without knowing pi. But what is pi? It's 3.14 with a bunch of other numbers after it. And how many numbers are there? What truly is the value of pi? We have never been able to figure that out. We have never been able to show that we can determine precisely what that number means. We don't know what that number is, but we know enough about that number that we can make use of that number. There's another value called E that's very important for many engineering applications, and we don't know what that number is either. There are many things that we simply do not know, but we know enough about them that we can use them to solve many important problems. So likewise, we may not know the totality of our God. And trust me, I don't think that you were created to know the totality of who He is. But it's okay because you know enough. You know enough about who He is that you can grow in a relationship with Him, you can experience a relationship with Him, and you can perform the works that He prepares for you to perform. You can do those things that the Lord has for you to do. So, with this example, with this illustration, please understand it's perfectly acceptable to not know everything. It is okay if you don't know everything. And if you don't know everything about the subject of the Trinity or with regards to the nature and the character of God, it's okay. The important thing is to know enough. Do you know enough about your God? Do you know that He's not three gods? Can you agree with that? Do you know that He has revealed Himself in whatever ways that He can so we can begin? To understand who he is, just working with that alone is perfectly adequate to grow and develop a believer, to grow and develop one of his children. Please understand that there are many things that we do not know and we will never truly know. I used to do work in quantum chemistry doing simulations as a computer scientist. And there are many things from a quantum chemical level that we simply do not know, and we will probably never know. In fact, I can prove that there are some things that we will never be able to simulate from a computer scientific point of view. There are many questions that we will never be able to truly answer. There are many models that we will never be able to generate because there are not enough resources that exist in the universe in order to Perform those kinds of computations. There's not enough time, there's not enough space, there's not enough material, there's no way that we will ever be able to answer some questions that we would really like to have answered. I've done research in that area, and that's acceptable. For us to at least know our limitations is perfectly fine. It means that there are some things that we will never know, some things that we will never be able to compute, but there are other things that we can know, there are other things that we can compute, and we'll be okay we'll be able to live our lives here on earth just fine even though we cannot explain the full molecular interactions that take place within a living cell, for example. We may not be able to compute the reactions of injecting certain chemicals into a living organism composed of trillions and trillions of cells. We may never be able to figure that out, but that's perfectly fine. We don't have to know that. We can continue life without knowing the totality of these things. So likewise, we can continue life without knowing the totality of our God. There are things that he reveals to us, and those things that he does reveal are adequate. They are. Trust in him, rely on him, and if there's something that you do not understand, then don't use that as an excuse to reject those things that he has made very clear to you. Don't use that as an excuse, just rely on and trust in him, rely on him, trust in him and believe in him as your God who will guide you and lead you in the correct way, in the proper way. Another example has to do with mathematical equations. There are many mathematical equations that we cannot solve, that we will never truly be able to solve. Let me give you a simple example of something. Consider an equation of 2 to the power of x minus x is equal to 0. For those of you who are very familiar with algebra, consider that equation. It's 2 to the x minus x is equal to 0. Can you solve this algebraic equation algebraically? What is x? Can you solve that equation? Absolutely not. It's a very simple equation. A very simple equation. However, you cannot possibly solve this equation algebraically. Using the rules of algebra, of balancing the equation on both sides, there is no way that you will ever be able to solve for X. There is no way that you can find a solution for that. There are other ways of finding solutions to that particular equation. And using these other methods, you might be able to get a precise answer. But in some circumstances, you will not be able to get a precise answer. There are many equations that we will never be able to get the precise solution for. And so what do we do? We solve the equation using the methods that we have. And there are some very advanced, complex, advanced mathematical methodologies to find solutions for this. There are certainly ways of finding the answer. But the important thing is not to find the answer. The important thing is to find an answer that is close enough to find an answer that is acceptable, that has enough significant digits to use that solution for an application that we truly have in mind, that we are actually going to solve this equation. Normally, we solve these kinds of problems because we want to solve other problems. And as long as you can get close enough, then it becomes acceptable. And so that's how I'm going to pursue this subject of the Trinity, is that I know I'm not going to be able to get a precise answer. However, I can get close enough. I can try to get close enough to the correct answer. I can at least address the subject with the limited knowledge that I do have so that I can go on in my Christian life walking and trusting in my God, knowing the small aspects that he has revealed to me that I can understand, and that can be adequate for me to live my daily life by trusting in him. Okay, now let me consider something very concrete. When you go to heaven, when you die, when you pass from this life into the next life, and you enter in to the kingdom of God, tell me something. Do you expect to see three thrones? Is that what you expect to see? Are you anticipating that when you go before your God in heaven, that when you go there, you're going to see the Lord Jesus to your left, who is going to be sitting, therefore, at the right hand of the Father. And on that throne, on the left, do you expect to see some fellow who's probably in his mid-30s, looking relatively healthy and perhaps has a lot of alertness to him? And then the throne in the middle contains some elderly man who probably has a very long white beard. Is that what you're expecting to see? Do you expect, do you anticipate truly to see Two thrones there and then a third throne to your right which probably has this mist hovering over the seat that we would describe as the Holy Spirit. Perhaps some mist of steam or something, something like that. Is that what you're anticipating? Is that what you expect to see? I personally do not anticipate that when I go before my God in heaven, that's what I'm going to see. And I certainly would not expect anybody else to believe that either. Because if you do, if that's what you expect to see, then personally, I would say that you actually believe in three different gods. That you would be better classified as a tritheist, a person who believes in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in such a distinct way that you would actually expect to interact with them differently, that you would interact with them in a different way? That's what I mean. Do you sincerely believe that your God is interacting with you in three unique ways, with three different Personalities. Do you really believe in three different persons to that degree, to that extent, that they would actually have their own thrones? This is a very important question, and the question that I'm going to have to leave you with, because I am out of time for this broadcast. But in the following broadcast, this is the question that I'm going to address. I'm sincerely asking you, is that what you really believe? Do you really believe that there are going to be three thrones? Because if that's what you believe, you probably do believe in three gods, when in reality, our God is one God. He is not to be divided up into three different gods or three different persons that you address and talk to and speak to and relate to in three different unique ways. He is truly one person, but in the revealing of himself, he has had to reveal himself in small ways because you could not withstand the totality of who he is. And this is what I'm going to address in the next broadcast.